Welcome to the Live Like Jesus podcast. I am your host, Lynn Wilson. We are in episode two of our season, How to Be a Public Christian. Uh, Last week, we began the season with Arthur Jones, senior pastor at St. Andrew, exploring this question. Arthur and I had a great conversation. If you didn't watch that yet, you need to go back and listen to that or watch it on YouTube. We talked about fear versus love. We talked about calling people to become uh, into their faith more publicly how living like Jesus is not the same thing as being an influencer or being on Instagram, Instagrammable, much more there in that episode. We're going to continue this conversation this week. We have with us a special guest, uh, Shane Bishop. Shane is senior pastor of Christ Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois. New friend of mine, a longtime colleague. We've gotten to know each other more as he is writing his first Invite Press book, which comes out next February. We'll talk more about that book as we get into the show. Uh, Shane is longtime known in the Methodist tradition, was distinguished evangelist of the United Methodist Church back in 2010. A long history of interest, passion, and focus on evangelism. And we're going to talk about evangelism today as a part of our uh, second episode here on how to be a public Christian. Shane, get on here with us. Welcome. It's great to have you on today. Good to be with you, Len. All right. Uh, well, adjust my audio here a bit. Well, let's just get into this. So we've been talking about this idea of how to be a public Christian. Uh, we said last week there's a couple of different angles uh, to this idea that there's a lot of people who are sincere Christ followers. We see this here at St. Andrew at our home church here for invite. But they people say, hey, listen, I come to church on Sunday. My faith is true. My convictions are strong, and yet I still don't know how to play this out Monday through Saturday in the workforce and in daily lives. So how how do I respond? How do I do this more publicly? And then on the other side, you have people who claim Christ very publicly, but maybe their actions don't seem so Christian. Uh, So you got this kind of like rub in terms of how do you be a, a public Christian, and that's kind of our theme for the year. Uh, so we'll just start there. Kind of any first reactions to that idea? You know, often I hear about the caricature of the, you know, the the in-your-face uh, kind of highly radiating public evangelist uh, that maybe doesn't live up to it in, in a lot of ways. But to be real honest with you, Lynn, I've probably met one of them for every 10,000 perfectly wonderful Christian people who never share their faith at all mm. and have no idea how to do it. So I think at times we we take some uh, caricature of a person and, and there's one of them out there and we act like it carries equal weight against 10,000 others. And the reality is I know that's a stereotype. I just don't see a whole lot of it. What I see are a lot of really good, devout Christian people who probably know they need to share their faith, aren't really sure as to how to do that in a way that doesn't cause more harm than good. Mm -hmm. We talked last week with Arthur about a quote, which is attributed often to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, Who knows if it came from him? This could be like, you know, everything comes to Albert Einstein on the internet. But um, but the, the saying is preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Uh, our one of our friends and Invite Press uh, fellow authors, Talbot Davis, talks about this in one of his books he did with us. Um, but and Talbot says that's not really right. I mean, like if you're going to be a Christian, 
you kind of have to use words. Like it's hard to tell the good news, tell the story of Jesus without using words. Uh, kind of what's your take on this quote and this idea about living your life versus being vocal? What do you think about that? Well, there's two thoughts. Number one is uh, just on the quote itself, it's hard to get quotes right. So I think all quotes either begin with Ben Franklin or Yogi Berra. So I would <laughs> say this quote has to be with either Ben Franklin or Yogi Berra. Concerning the quote itself, you know, it's no coincidence to me, uh, Lynn, that there's not a lot of Christian minds. Hmm. Okay. The, the reality is, uh, a, a good Christian lifestyle, I think, offers credibility for witnessing. But if we act like that replaces witnessing, I think it becomes a pretty easy cop out. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's also perhaps there's a shift here. You know, at one point, uh, maybe in our culture, at some point, you know, several years, decades ago, this idea of Christendom, we were living in a Christian culture. That maybe people could get away with that a little bit more the idea that they're just going to live a lifestyle that's like christ and that's sufficient i don't know if you've ever believed that but it seems like certainly it's changed now versus where it was uh some time ago well i think part of it is that the idea that we just live a christian lifestyle and somehow through osmosis that others are going to come to christ and our churches are going to fill up I mean, if that really happened, I would argue the American mainline would be thriving right mm. now, not imploding. Right. Because that's kind of what the American mainline did for years was say, let's live this to the neglect of evangelism. And, and for me, evangelism is the reproductive system of Christianity. Without okay, so it, you, you die off. Say more about that. I know that's a core piece of the book you've written that's coming out in uh, which I'll mention that for our readers and viewers, uh, the book uh, it's called That's Good News. It comes out in February of next year. And what you just said is a core part of the book. So describe more about this idea of this reproductive system of the church. Well, one of the things that I'm convinced of, a church only has to do three things to grow. You have to make new Christians. You have to turn new Christians into disciples. And you have to send them out to make new Christians. And, and I call that formula uh, E2D, two parts evangelism to one part discipleship. What churches are really good at is discipleship and recycling, discipleship and recycling. <laughs> but uh, what churches focus on is discipleship. But if you look at a New Testament model, there's really no understanding of discipleship apart from evangelism. We have to evangelize our own families. Obviously, those things are really important. And I would argue the number one evangelistic field that any of us have are our own children, our own families. But beyond that, I believe that the Great Commission is an imperative to go into all the world. And I don't think evangelism is reserved for uh, raging extroverts or for uniquely and rarely gifted people. I think evangelism is something we're all called to do, and we neglect it to the detriment of the church itself. When we talked about your book, we began talking about this, I guess, uh, several months ago now. 
I remember a phrase that you used uh, that your goal was to write a book where evangelism for everybody, uh, this idea that you could kind of break down some of the barriers, some of the fears and concerns people have uh, to hopefully live out just what you said, that it's something anybody can do. It's not reserved for uh, raging extroverts, <laughs> which are, is that you, Shane? Are you a raging extrovert? I am not. Uh, my wife and I live in a, a very rural, secluded part of Southern Illinois. We live in a log cabin, actually, in wooded acreage. Uh, in my spirit and in my natural inclination, I'm a very quiet, reserved people. I've just got this gear that when it comes time to do what God's called me to do, God gives me the grace to do that. And then I go home and I'm absolutely exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I get that. You get you get tapped out. You got to go home, fill up, recharge, man. Yeah, yeah. So you you weren't always this comfortable with evangelizing, were you? I mean, thinking about when you were just starting. I mean, you you told a couple stories in the manuscript about uh, being young and being out there, and uh, so kind of go back to that history in your own mind for a second, and and talk to our listeners about how you began to get comfortable talking about Jesus publicly. Well, I come from a unique background. Uh, my father, back before men's ministry was a thing, my dad had a men's ministry started in 1976 called No Greater Love Ministries. And basically, they took men on short-term evangelism trips. The whole idea was you train people to do specific types of evangelism at large national events like the Indy 500, Kentucky Derby, New Orleans Mardi Gras, that kind of thing. And you took them out in that kind of intense crucible. You taught them these techniques of evangelism. And then the idea was they would bring them back to their churches. And so I kind of grew up with evangelism being the norm, much more so than uh, not evangelizing. So for me, it was starting off pretty gun-ho with evangelism. And then as I became a pastor and all of those things, as I got to do as I would say, my paradigm sort of shifted from primarily uh, propositional evangelism toward relational evangelism. A bit mm. Evangelism with people you're actually going to have to live with is <laughs> a little different than street preaching on Bourbon Street. And so uh, that kind of is my journey toward relational and, and what I would call sustainable but effective evangelism. How do we evangelize within the places we live, with the people we know? And how do we take the edge off of that and put tools in people's hands uh, that make it quite naturally to do? Mm. I, I like the idea here that it might be new to a lot of our listeners that evangelism is something that you can be trained to do. There's tools you can acquire, skill sets, just like you would uh, anything else. Um, how do you, in, in your own congregation, when you're talking to people about the idea of sharing the story of Jesus, what are some of those tools? Give us an example of what that looks like. Well, we kind of break evangelism down uh, like you would break college courses down. So our evangelism 099, just the basic building block of evangelism. And, and we're a church that in, in 26 years, we have gone from 200 uh, to to this year will be well over 3,000 in terms of, of attendance. And so we've really grown. And our basic component for evangelism is really simple. You invite people to church and we will tell them about Jesus when they get here. And so what we do is we put tools in the hands of people to invite other people to church. 
We come at this through multiple angles, but the whole idea is to take away the idea that you have to kind of get in people's grill to mm. do evangelism. But we've got very effective ways. You know, for example, we've got little uh, business cards that, certain, that have our church times on them, that type of thing. And so when you leave a tip at a restaurant, just leave a business card. Now, I always tell people, if you're going to do that, leave a good tip, <laughs> but uh, leave a business card. We have a whole line of apparel that this is Christchurch on it. And the idea is that when you're out and around and people ask you about Christchurch, hand them one of those cards, invite them to come to church with you. So our strategy is really around listening to the Holy Spirit, equipping people. And then when you see and hear the opportunities to offer a witness to Christ, to invite someone to church, just being ready to take advantage of those as opposed to trying to force uh, round pegs into square holes all the time. You're talking about a lifestyle that's more natural. It's it's almost like talking about uh, your favorite team, right? You're a Cardinals fan, right? St. Louis, yeah. do I have that yeah. right? So you, you get around people. A lot of guys were like, hey, did you watch the Cardinal game? For me, it's the Cowboys. Watch it. So, But that kind of natural kind of way we have about sports, you're bringing that same kind of relaxed environment to faith is what I'm hearing. And that's that might be kind of a mind blower to people. Well, many years ago, my son, uh, when he was just out of college, worked at Lowe's and he was uh, a, a administrator at, at Lowe's. And it was really interesting because he was at one of the lows in our region back then. And somebody asked him, they said, your dad is the pastor at Christchurch, right? And he said, yeah. And, and they said, you know, other than the Cardinals and the Blues, we see more Christchurch sweatshirts walk in to this store than any other brand. And they said, what really is Christchurch? Wow. Well, at that point, now you have the opportunity. You didn't force anything on them. Uh, they simply inquired of you. One of my favorite stories, Lens, has to do with Sam's Wholesale Club. It was a Friday, and I decided to take Melissa out for a really great lunch. So we went to the cafe at Sam's Wholesale Club for a pizza special. Yep. I've got a Christchurch shirt on and an old Cardinals hat. The person that waited on me said, Christchurch. I've been, is that the church on the parkway? And I said, yeah. And, and she said, do you go to that church? I said, yeah. She said, well, I've been thinking about attending that church. I said, well, we'd sure love to see you. I really like it. And she goes, well, I may attend Sunday. I said, I'm sure we'd be glad to see you. And I bought my pizza and I went and sat down Sunday after church. This young lady runs up to me and she said, why didn't you tell me you were the pastor? I said, because I didn't think it mattered. I just didn't think it mattered. This is just what we do as Christian people. We are invitational. We wait for the Holy Spirit. We're equipped. We wait. And as God brings those opportunities, we naturally flow into them. I love this. As a communications person, that's kind of my background. I mean, what you're talking about is just... It, to use the the language of communication, it's it's really kind of brand building. It's it's good marketing. Uh, it's but it's but it's not. See, a lot of people hear that word and they think it's manipulation, but it's not. It's just a natural outflow of your love for Christchurch, for the community, for the Jesus to whom the community points, and you talk about that and you create that that mark 
you know, the Christchurch mark, and then it's out there and people respond to it. I think that's absolutely right. Because if you think about it, uh, a church is a brand. It, it, it truly is. And, and our brand is that we're going to stand for biblical truth, unwavering and unapologetically, but we're going to stand there in Christian love, unwavering and unapologetically. And so what I always tell people is you can always feel safe in inviting someone to church, no matter where they're coming from. They, they may not uh, overly agree with everything that the Bible presents, but we're going to treat everybody really, really well. And we are going to love on people and we're going to greet people and we're going to go out of our way to make people feel loved and warm and invited into this community. So for me, evangelism is the opposite of manipulation, mm. it's invitation into what everybody needs. If you look at it, Lynn, what people need today, they're looking for purpose and community. I think the church offers both those things. Mm. What do you say, so someone's listening, you've, as, as the pastor at Christ Church, you've been able to create this culture right over the course of the last 25 years or so. Uh, someone's listening, they're not part of your faith community. Maybe they feel a little bit alone in their own faith community, or maybe they don't even have a faith community. Uh, they don't have a place to point people to. Uh, what can you say to someone in that context who, uh, you know, the, for faith is is very real, very personal, but they don't have that kind of easy brand to point to? Yeah, and, and I think that kind of moves us beyond the 099. Because if you think about it, Lynn, uh, really trying to get people to come to church is marketing. Mm. Evangelism is introducing people to Jesus. Okay. And I don't think there's a thing wrong with marketing your church for the purposes of evangelism. It's just I don't think you should get evangelism and marketing confused. So marketing is attempting to get people to church. Evangelism is what we do once people get there. So for me, if people don't have that great warm feeling about their faith community, if, if they're not sure about those things, then you kind of skip 099 and you go right to evangelism. And evangelism is just being able to share your faith story. And as we listen and somebody is, uh, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot here, Lynn, is, you know, ask people how they're doing. Just take an interest in people. And every now and then you ask somebody how they're doing. And instead of saying fine, they'll tell you about something difficult going on in their life. And my response is at that point, we should say, may I pray for you and pray with them right on the spot. Just pray with them right there. That is a form of evangelism. It, it, it's a step toward a spiritual connection. It's a step toward leading them toward Jesus and literally have a prayer with them right there. And beyond that, see what develops at the end of the day. And I'm very unapologetically apologetic about this. I tell people I am trying to convert you to Christianity. So I just want to I don't want a hidden agenda. This is what I'm trying to do. And so I'm happy to share my faith story with people. I encourage people to share their own faith stories, uh, record it in 60 seconds on your phone, share it on social media, look for opportunities to share Jesus with people. That would be my uh, advice. You know, you, you kind of skip 099, you move right to 101, which is just sharing Jesus straight and without ice. You've got a, um, a nice piece in there, which I want to point out that 
you have to be able to even tell your own faith story to be able to share your story, right? So being able to do your elevator speech of how Jesus has changed your life, 60 seconds, I'm not sure most people can do that. I don't think a lot of people have worked on it. And, you know, I remember 100 years ago, I tried out for the Philadelphia Phillies and the person conducting the tryout got us all there. And he said, you know, you guys are all, you guys play baseball. And he said, obviously, you're pretty good at it. You wouldn't be here, but you play baseball. What you are here to do is to let us decide whether or not we see enough in you so you can work baseball. And I think a lot of people play evangelism, but they don't work it. And work is knowing your testimony. Uh, I, I have people here, write out your testimony in 250 words. Write out what God is doing in your life right now in 250 words. Practice being able to share that coherently mm-hmm. with another person. I think preparation is important. You know, the Bible says that we, you know, wait on the spirit to prompt us. But I want to give the spirit something to work with. I, I love what my preaching professor at uh, Candler, Fred Craddock, said to us. He said, the work of the Holy Spirit has never been to excuse preachers from hard work. Uh, And I don't believe the work of the Holy Spirit is to excuse Christians from hard work around evangelism. So I think it's important to know your story. I think it's important to know what you believe. I think it's important that you can share with someone why you believe it. And more importantly, I think it's important that you can lead someone to Christ. You tried out for the Phillies, huh? Yeah, but it's, yeah, that's that's correct. But they said that they were looking for good baseball players. So, uh, so that was pretty short-lived. <laughs> they wanted to cool. help the team, Lynn, and, and I think that's where I somehow got passed over. <laughs> did you play minor league ball? I did not. Okay. Just played in college. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Wow, the Philly fanatic. I, yeah, I did I graduate school. There. I might have qualified to be the Philly fanatic if they would have had secondary tryouts. I feel like I could have got there. <laughs> That's awesome. I've watched the Philly game. In fact, I was there in 93. They won the series. This was uh, the Joe Carter year. I was in graduate school, and they had this guy named Mitch Williams, uh, the wild thing. Yeah. Remember him? Through with the Cubs for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him live. He was pretty cool. I like it. Well, the Phillies just ushered the Cardinals out of the uh, baseball playoffs, so all of us around here have very fresh memories of the Phillies. We could talk baseball a lot. My brother-in-law works for the Braves. He's going to come on the show uh, later this year. So, yep, got a lot of baseball stories. I want to shift, though, to another story. Uh, I was driving back uh, into town last night. I had taken a road trip, and I was listening to a podcast. I had had a couple of mutual friends of ours. In fact, I'll just say it's George Acevedo uh, first brought this up. He's one of our invite authors. And he had asked me if I had listened to the bonus episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Uh, Do you know about this um, Christianity Today produced podcast? Have you heard about this one, Shane? I have heard about it. I've not listened to any of them, Lynn. So, yeah, so it it kind of characterizes the, the whole mega church growth movement, what's been happening over the last 10 to 15 years. But this particular episode was talking about a, a guy named Josh Harris who wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which apparently, according to this podcast, sold over a million copies. But uh, but Josh deconstructed, if you will, 
and um and is now uh he he and his wife separated and now he's on instagram and has said that he no longer identifies as a christian and we were my producer josiah here who's behind the scenes right now we were talking about the story of josh um, because josiah is in his mid-20s and so he grew up in this culture of where josh harris was a leader in this kind of evangelical culture where sometimes there was a disconnect where you had kind of right belief wrong action the way i would describe it is you had belief but not fruit you didn't actually see the the fruit the kind of the flourishing of life of what it really looks like when you're truly following jesus and so now as a result of this you've got kind of the segment of evangelicalism that is more about walking than talking if you will they're, they're, they're kind of burnt by bad Christianity, I'm not sure if that's fair or not, but they're coming out of a, a world in which they're not comfortable evangelizing, uh, much less talking about their faith at all. Uh, have you encountered anybody like this in your own ministry or uh, consulting with other pastors in your church? And how, are you, how would you deal with folks who are kind of asking some of these questions? One of the things I do before I even start is, is I do question the assumptions that people make today. You know, one of the things that I see happening in our culture a lot is that people will take a word like evangelical that everybody's familiar with and nobody, very few people really know how to accurately define it. Mm -hmm. So you pour everything you don't like about Christianity into that word and you put it up for sale so everybody can throw stuff at it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I reject the notion. You know, it used to be when I was growing up, they used to say the exceptions prove the rule. And it seems like we live in a day where the exceptions are the rule. Hmm. The, the horrible stories we hear, yeah, they're true. And there's a lot of horrible things happening. But I've got to tell you, for every one disaster story out there, there's, there's a thousand stories of people who are living their faith really, really well and with great integrity. And I remember when my dad just got out of seminary and I was a little bitty boy, he used to say, son, I don't ever read living theologians because they can always change their mind. <laughs> and I've always kind of liked that idea. But the reality is I sort of reject a lot of the assumptions being made because you can't take the worst actors in a genre that you've defined yourself out of the blue and politicized and then decide that is the standard for everybody. Mm. I just have not found that to be true in my own experience. Wow. That is great. And that fits exactly everything I've gotten to know about you. You know, we, so I, I want to go back and kind of mention some context for our listeners. I first became aware of you and perhaps you, me, through a list that I would used to make for my website of the fastest growing Methodist churches. And we did, I had done this list for several years and you were always on this list. And in fact, you and one other pastor in the country were the only two people who were consistently on this list for the whole 15 years I did the list. And I think we first connected over that. And then shortly after uh, I started invite in the spring of 20, we began to talk about, um, you know, this kind of thing. But, but one of the things that I, I really got from you early on, which I really loved was uh, this phrase, and I'll let, I'm going to butcher it and you can do it better, but basically like you're not in a bad mood. You're a Christian and you're not in a bad mood about it. Is that right? It's kind of something you say along those lines? I, I'm a, I am a traditional, orthodox, Bible-believing Christian. 
but I'm not in a bad mood about it. <laughs> and I'm not defensive about it. I don't get a chip on the shoulder. You know, I, I just don't. It's just who I am. I, I believe the gospel is good news. And to be honest with you, uh, Lynn, I just reject a lot of the narratives that are out there that even Christian people are accepting at face value. I, I just, and it may be antidotal, but I can say in my experience, a lot of these narratives that are commonly thought of as truth are, are simply uh, false. Hmm. So someone who's maybe been through some bad things uh, in church life, then your response, I'm hearing you say, is to is to not let that define their understanding of who Jesus is. I think Paul understood better than anyone that the church is a, is a clay pot. I mean, you know, I, I know all these pastors that are always looking for the perfect church. And I know all these parishioners who are always looking for the perfect church. And I'll always say to them, you are aware the second you arrive, if you ever find the perfect church, the second you arrive, you will have ruined the whole thing. <laughs> there are no, we're not perfect. We are not flawless. We may be teleos. We may be perfectly useful to God, but in the English definition of without flaw, there's no flawless churches. There's people. People do dumb things. People make mistakes. Uh, people get it right. People get it wrong. And I think the whole of the New Testament is navigating the clay pot in such a way as it doesn't taint the precious ointment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's still our task today. But any suggestion that the gospel has suddenly because become bad news simply because the pot has always been an earthen vessel, uh, flag. <laughs> All right, that's a great segue to talk about your book a little bit more. The title of the book, That's Good News, How to Overcome Your Fear and Evangelize, which is going to come out in February of 23. We anticipate it to be on pre-order status here sometime in the next few weeks. Uh, tell me something, Shane, of, that you learned yourself in writing this manuscript. One of the things I think I learned in writing the, the manuscript was the journey that I have been on concerning evangelism. Where I started and where I've ended up, I, I think the thing that shocked me most is how little uh, my beliefs about God have changed. Mm. You know, uh, I think a lot of people today, particularly a lot of Orthodox traditional Christians, you know, a lot of people think that they're just the worst people in the world because they didn't change what they believe to be true about God. But I, I really haven't. And Lynn, a lot of my journey over these last four or five years has been recovering the childlike faith that I had when I was in Bible school and I was singing and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack. And <laughs> right. for me, it, it's, I've recovered this, this childlike faith, this, this wonder that Jesus loves me and this idea that the gospel is truly, truly good news. And it's the hope of the world. And, and, and I guess my journey has been one of, of moving beyond being jaded moving beyond being frustrated and all of those things that we get caught up in and just getting back to the pure beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to write a book that uh, said to people, let's recover this idea, this notion 
that the gospel's good news. Because if in our hearts, we think the gospel's bad news, nobody likes to share bad news. Right. Nobody likes to share bad news, but everybody likes to share good news. And the other thing is, if you don't know what you believe, you're, you're going to be very hesitant to evangelize. And I think mm -hmm. we're at a point where a lot of the faith of people has uh, been under threat. And a lot of people aren't sure. Is, is the Bible reliable? Is, is the Orthodox Christian faith I've been taught, uh, is it somehow lessened because of bad actors out there? And, and that list goes on and on. And so what I really wanted to do was just to lean back into this uh, good mood about orthodoxy and sharing the great news about Jesus without a chip on our shoulder on one hand and without trepidation on the other. I want to thank you for this idea of just recovering the childlike faith. It, it makes what I thought of when you said that somewhere very early on in my marriage, I read something about, about a, it was the, this, this man who wrote, he had been married to his wife for several decades. And he talked about this incredible phenomenon that had happened in his marriage where he and his wife kind of fell in love again. And they, uh, experienced many of the same feelings and actions and that they had had when they were, you know, young in their twenties, uh, late teens, early twenties, and that there was kind of this, this recapitulation, if you will, kind of coming back to the story, uh, uh all over again. Uh, I never forgot that. I thought that's cool, man. If I could, if my wife and I could have that someday, that would be amazing. And, and I'm hearing that there, as you're talking about your own faith and your own journey, and coming back to the beginning and experiencing some of the same joys and what hope that is for people maybe who are going through a bad period, whether it's in their faith or their marriage or anything to say, sticking with it, that there's going to become a time when it's all fresh again. I, I have been in a uh, state of personal revival for about two or three years now. A lot of things led into that, but it, it has been, an incredible experience for me to fall in love with Jesus wow. all over again. And there is a joy in me that is just palpable. And uh, the, the imperative to share that good news is far less than, than just the joy of sharing good news. If you get a hold of something really good, don't, don't you want to share it with other people? And I feel like Jesus has a hold of me and uh, my heart has been strangely rewarmed and, and like chili. It tastes better the second time you heat it up. You know, it's True. been a great experience for me. And the book grows out of that experience while still attempting, you know, still I want to be theologically sound. I want the book to be funny. I want the book to be practical. But most of all, it grows out of this love for Jesus that is rekindled in my own heart. Wow, that is great. And what a closing statement. Uh, the book, by the way, I can't wait for you to listen to it, to hear it, to read it once it comes out. Uh, Shane, you're hilarious. Uh, the stories you tell. Uh, you sent me a couple of samples to start with, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the funniest thing. Uh, so I, I love your style as a writer, but even more than that, I just love your infectious joy. Uh, and, and that just comes through every time we're on the Zoom call together and again today. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for joining our podcast today.
It was absolutely my honor. I'm thrilled to be part of the Invite Resources team. And, uh, you know, I want to share the good news. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll you'll hear more about this book uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, we have a few other books that are coming out. Uh, we'll talk about those for a second. We've got uh, uh, Come Alive Proverbs, which is the third in the series with Talbot Davis called uh, uh, Come Alive Conversations with Scripture. This comes out in November. November 15th is the drop date for that. Uh, a book of poetry, which we're very excited about, uh, very visually, aesthetically pleasing. This is an exciting book. This is our first book of poetry to do called Through the Storm with a friend of ours, Michael Agnew, who is student pastor at Irving Bible Church here in the Dallas area. And then also Telos, which is a book that I have co-written with Leonard Sweet. This comes out in December, hopefully December 6th. We're pushing hard. We might be a week or two late. But uh, December 23 uh, to uh, launch date, and that's now available on pre-order as well. Uh, Josiah, were there any others that I missed that you had? Graph oh, yes. Also, Julie Yarbrough's Comfort and Joy Daily Advent Devotions. Uh, Julie is also our author uh, for a book called Present Comfort, which is Finding Comfort in Loss and uh, has written about her own experiences with grief and now has uh, got this incredible resource for looking at uh, comfort and joy during the Advent season. So all these available at inviteresources.com. Uh, next week, we'll have on our mutual friend, uh, George A. Savito. Mentioned him last week. We had to switch around because of Hurricane Ian. So Shane graciously agreed to appear today. George going to come on next week, and he's going to have some incredible stories of what he and his church are doing in response to Hurricane Ian and how very much so they are being public Christians and they are being Christ to their community in Cape Coral, Florida. So join us again next week for another episode of the Live Like Jesus podcast. <laughs>